It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> Broadcasting live on the Mixed Radio Network, you're listening to Casey Ryan on the cutting room floor. Casey, the floor is yours. All right, how you doing everybody? Casey Ryan here again for another episode of the Cutting Room Floor, a little podcast that I started to showcase indie entertainers from all walks. So I like to say if you've got a story to tell or a project to sell, and I want to hear from you. Uh, so the easiest way to get a hold of me is on Twitter. Ask anybody that knows me. I'm on there pretty much all the time. My Twitter handle is at CuttingRoomMRB, uh, or you can like me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash CuttingRoomMRB with some additional content and uh, rants and reviews and ramblings. I am going to try to get some more writing done up on my blog too. That hasn't been quite as active for a while, but I will be doing more of that soon. Um, before we get started, I just wanted to give a quick little shout out and thank you to uh, Wolf and Susan over at uh, Live from the Morgue, which you can listen to every Friday night right here on the Mix Radio Network uh, from 8 o'clock until midnight. They actually invited me back last Friday, uh, a couple of days ago there, to hang around in, in their corner of the sandbox and horse around a little bit. Uh, we did a little contest to see who could name the most U- number of U.S. presidents, and being Canadian, I whipped them both, and so I'm getting a, a bit of a kick out of that. Um, also, wanted to thank Michael Cardillo, who wrote that track, uh, that little jingle for me as an opener there. Mike, I can't say this enough. Thanks a lot for doing that. It makes the show sound a lot more polished. Um, so I've got two great guests lined up for you today. Jim Page ultimately couldn't be here, but we, we hope to have him back at some point. He's an editor out of, uh, out of England. Uh, but I did get the Cutting Room Floor's designated hitter back on the show, and I, I was joking around with my wife about this a little bit earlier. I've had Joe on four times, but I've only booked him once. Uh, the reason being is that he's always the first guy right out of the gate to volunteer whenever I need somebody and I'm happy to have him on because I don't know where the conversations are going to go and he's just got so much going on that that uh, I mean it's always fun to catch up with him uh, so this is your first time hearing from Joe uh, again I would strongly suggest that there's something wrong with the social media strategy you can follow him on Twitter at Joe Wilson TV uh, it acts as a hub of uh, his two series one of which is called play shorts and the other one's got a cult following called vampire mob uh, play shorts of course is a series of short plays that's been adapted to films and uh, vampire mob just as the name sounds it's uh, sort of a mob theme series that uh, has vampires in it uh, and once starred the late great marshall wallace and joe has been working on a graphic novel ever since so hopefully we're going to be uh, getting an update on that too uh, he's got an opinion about everything. What can I tell you? So we're just sort of going to run with it. And uh, he said, okay, I want to talk about the end of the entertainment industry. So that's what we're going to kick off the show with. So uh, without further ado, a proud member of my repeat offenders club, our old friend Joe Wilson is back. Joe, how you doing? Thanks for having me on. I like the designated hitter status. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool, right? So <clears throat> Yeah, it just always seems like I'm on... Uh, I don't know. I, I sort of look at Sunday morning as a time to hang out with everybody on on Facebook and Twitter and drink coffee and 
procrastinate on what I should be doing, and I, I always seem to trip over your tweet or Facebook status about a, an MIA guest, so uh, happy to be back, and thanks for having me. Well, and I, and the way I look at it, too, is for me, it's, you know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon is kind of a good slot, because I can go visit my parents who live out of town and still make it back in time to do this, right? So it's, it's kind of a good place to be, right? And you're not quite thinking about the work week yet, but, you know, everybody's still around hanging out, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And the great thing is that everybody can listen to it on demand later. So yeah, yeah, I always say that too. Most of my uh, traffic comes from downloads later, anyway. So, uh, and, and 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 honestly, I think that is part of the reason that uh, the entertainment industry. I'm I'm overstating it by saying that it's ending, but I, I, I know for a fact. And please meet me back here in five years. Um, that what we're seeing now and have seen over the last five years is going to speed up and we are just seeing the beginnings of it, uh, which is audience fragmentation, which is, you know, because how many people are going to be around on a Sunday at the exact time you do the show versus how many people are going to listen on their own time when they want under the circumstances they want. And I think that's the same with television. It's the same with movies. Uh, you know, we've now seen Netflix and Amazon win the Golden Globe, taking it away from television networks who have won it for all of history. So I think, you know, there used to be a milkman who drove around and delivered everybody's milk way back in the day. There used to be a, remember CD stores, Tower Records, way, way back in the, like, four years ago, five years ago? Uh, remember Borders Books? Uh, remember the music industry? Remember that whole, that whole idea? I remember a little thing called Blockbuster Video. It, yeah, precisely. <laughs> and, and, I, and I think the thing is that that... I think a lot of the sort of what I would consider savvy-ish people um, who have been online for a while, who were, who were on MySpace at least, I think that MySpace kind of taught us, much like the entertainment industry has taught us this behavior of, you know, watch, watch at this certain time because we need to sell advertising or buy a movie ticket on this certain day so we can be number one at the box office, so we can get all that free advertising from all the news outlets who talk about what's number one at the box office, which is absolutely no measurement of quality. So we've been taught that, but now our behavior is changing to we want to watch on demand, we want to watch, we want to stream movies at home more than we, we want to go to the movies. Uh, for anybody who doesn't want to watch a $300 million tentpole, and I love $300 million tentpoles. I have nothing, you know, I thought Avengers rocked. I have nothing against any of that. But in terms of a business, the way that the movie studios are working now is that $10 million in profit from a film is not enough. And when you have to play at that realm, when you need to play at the $200 million is not unheard of now. It's kind of normal where that sounded ludicrous. But the reality is, with the DVD market gone, they they need to hit big up front. They need to spend millions of dollars on advertising, and and this is why the entertainment industry is going to end as we know it. Because if we're all watching TV on demand, how are we going to see those advertisements? We're not. We're not reading the newspaper ads. We're not reading the magazine ads. We're all watching things and reading things and listening to things when we want, how we want. So in order for advertising, period, of all kinds, 
to get in front of us, they have to be in the neighborhoods we live in. And the neighborhoods we live in are Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram. And they're, you know, obviously Facebook is more than covered in advertising. But also Facebook the last couple of years has been sort of characterized as the next MySpace. Like it's, you know, the youth is leaving. They're all going to Snapchat. It's, you know, and it's like, yeah, but it's still the biggest social media site in the world. It's never going away. Meet me back here in five years. Facebook will still be here because the behavior, my mom's on Facebook. My mom wasn't on, my mom's not on Twitter, Instagram, anything else. My mom, you know that's everybody's moms and grandmas and aunts and uncles and it's the high school reunion it's the, it's that's what it's become and that and myspace i remember being on myspace and people saying to me oh what are you a pedophile and i'm like no i'm a comedian and that's oh well that's okay then but well, I, I i gotta say like I, I read an article in entertainment weekly and you know speaking of mediums that are dying slowly which really i'll, I'll throw another one out being magazines right that people are consuming you know there's all kinds of magazines that are folding up the print divisions and you know going straight to online subscriptions and things like that right right um but the the, the point that was made in the editorial and i wish i could remember the guy who wrote it i want to say mark harris but i know that's probably not it but um what he was saying was that you know find the academy awards are on the 22nd of february but i've got my agenda marked for the 28th when the next season of house of cards drops Exactly. Right, and and yeah. uh, you know that dovetails into something that Kevin Spacey said. I, 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 a, a speech that I've quoted very often, where he stood up in front of a uh, a group of British broadcasters and he said, "Traditional labels don't matter anymore." You know, right. whether it's yeah. a whether it's a movie that's consumed in a two hour setting or something that's binge watched over the course of a weekend, what really does it matter anymore? I completely agree, and and I think and the thing about it is that I'm not. Um, I'm not saying, you know, I live in Los Angeles. I've been here for 17 years. I have failed miserably uh, in my pursuits uh, as a, a screenwriter, an actor, a comedian. You know, I got hired to write. I, I got hired to act. I made money as a, as a stand-up. But it was, you know, it was never consistent enough. And, and when I sort of, when I did it in Boston, performed and wrote shows and did stand-up, like, I could sell out a show when I was just, you know, my first solo show which was the first time i ever really performed anything on stage uh, for any like i'd never been on stage for 90 minutes people came because the the behavior of people in boston at that time was to read the newspaper look for things to do at night and then go do it in la there's a million things to do famous people are you know standing in a cafe in a corner you know running material if you want to see stand up so it's not the culture here it doesn't have that and at some point, I was kind of looking at what, A, what does it take to make a story? You need an audience. And B, how are you going to get that audience? And by performing live in Los Angeles, I was never going to build up an audience because no one cares. That's not part of the behavior. But when I put stories online, people found them and they said hi to me and I said hi back to them. And that's been going on now for technically five years but really like the last i feel like i'm in year two of kind of completely seeing the matrix of what is going on and it's it's nothing but fragmentation you know if, if house of cards prime example like how many shows are there now how many more are coming how are we going to watch all of them 
especially when a lot of them are really good. We've never had this much to consume. So we're and, and then, I, mean, I would say you know, I, would, I would put a caveat to that. It's, we, we, I would say that we've never had this much that's worth consuming. There's, you know, always been lots of material, but it's very rarely that you've you've seen so much of it that is this good. I would say. I, I would agree with that, but also I think that it's still it's more akin to human behavior because it was possible to rent all the episodes of a TV show from Blockbuster and go home and watch it, but nobody really did that. I mean, you know, some people did, sure, but it wasn't, everybody wasn't saying, well, I blew the weekend binging on, because they weren't going to drive back and forth to Blockbuster to keep getting three more episodes or however many you could fit on a tape or a DVD. But the idea of just sitting back and hitting next, 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 next for 15 hours is now possible. It's now behavior, and that is, that's what changes the way people look at TV. Like, Sons of Anarchy is over. But people are going to be watching that show for years. And I think that is, so if our attention is continued to be fragmented, it is going to be harder for an industry to get millions of people to do something at the same time. And when your business model is based completely on the idea of getting millions of people to do something at the same time, when that no longer works, then you're the milkman, you're, you know, you're, you're blockbuster video, you're Tower Records, you have to change or you're going to die. And the problem is that most of the people who are in any kind of decision-making uh, position right now are, they're just looking at the door. They got five years left, 10 years left. They're not going to say to all their stockholders, let's be unprofitable for a couple of years so we can figure out this new business model, which is going to be smaller amounts of profit to smaller audiences uh, distributed over a much longer tail, I think, a, a span of time. I think that is what we're seeing with Netflix. That's why Arrested Development came back. And the entertainment industry isn't designed like this. So for the independent storyteller, the independent artist, the independent musician, anybody who wants to make anything or tell a story to anyone or entertain or whatever it is that you actually want to do, I'm not talking about getting rich. I'm not talking about super famous. I'm talking about, like, if you could tell a story to 50 people who were all over the world versus you sitting around your house and watching TV wishing you could make a TV show and knowing that that is really hard to do. And I, you know, I tried to sell movies. I wrote movies. That was, that was what I did most of my time out here. And, and I loved writing, but I'm not going to write and then just have all these stories die on a hard drive. Now, I, I'm going to go back to the, the bit about the indie thing in a second, but I, I just wanted to touch on something that you brought up more than once over the course of the last few minutes, right? That, you know, we've, we've talked about the death of Tower Records, we talked about the death of Blockbuster, and I, I can see the video store down the street from me that got a lot of my money for a long time, slowly but surely dying. Um, is the death of the movie theater within something that most of us will see in our lifetimes, do you think? I don't, I don't think entirely, but I think what will happen is sort of what's happening now is the, if you look, looked around the U.S., you know, 15, 20 years ago versus even 10 years ago versus now, the number of art houses, independent movie theaters uh, has, has shrunk as has the number of distributors that are dealing with that kind of material because it's not, more people want to see it 
then there are places to show it. More people are seeing it online or on Netflix or especially in the case of documentaries. You know, I don't think documentaries have really ever been hotter because they're so consumable. So uh, why, why is it that you think then that a, that a movie, that, that a, uh, you know, a medium like, like theater, right, still continues uh, hundreds of years after it started, right? Why hasn't that become extinct? I, I, because their business model has, well, you can look at Broadway and look at sort of what's happened to it over the last 15 years where it's, you know, it's Spider-Man, it's turning, you know, ridiculous things into musicals because there's a built-in audience and sometimes you know great things have come out of that and a lot of crap but that and the ticket prices are insane if you go to theater on broadway and and you know a few places here in in la i think that the the behavior of the theater goer is you know most theaters even if you have a little black box community theater it has never depended on box office usually box office is not how they make their money they have benefactors benefits uh i was part of a an organization in boston called mobius and it was an artist-run non-profit organization that had a performance space exhibition space and a rehearsal space for members of the artist group and then we and it started in 1977 still going uh and we would take proposals from outside artists we were we were the decision makers, but the place only survived because we did two benefits a year, because there were grants and that kind of thing. So the business model of it wasn't dependent on something being successful. And I think a lot of, you know, community theater, local theater, smaller theater that you will see, you know, we're not talking Chicago, New York, uh, or LA. We're talking, you know, middle of the country in the US, smaller communities. Uh, or outlying communities that have people who love the craft, who love to act, who love that, and they have a small community, a small audience, a fragment, if you will, of people who live within proximity who continue to support that, that theater for whatever reason. And I think that is what is, uh, I think that's what's going to happen to individual storytellers if they make themselves available to people on social media because that is the neighborhood, that is the town center, that is the new community. And when we ignore geography and we look at the reality of being able to communicate to other human beings, to touch other human beings in a way and at a scale that has never been possible at a cost that has never been, you know, I couldn't do this six years ago. Uh, uh, I've been, you know, I'm, I'm not a kid. I'm in my 40s. I, you know, I, uh, the 80s were really boring. Uh, the 90s were cool because I was online in like 91, 92. I was on BBSs before you get on the net. Uh, you know, I had social media experiences in the mid 90s and just never put two and two together because I was just so focused on the entertainment industry. And it was just, it got so frustrating that I had, had to kind of step back and look at it and go, what do I need to really make a living? I need an audience just like the studios do. How am I going to get that audience? I am going to tell them stories and say hi and, and, and try to help people. I, I you know, try to, to get, you know, encourage, there's not enough encouragement out there. There's too much criticism. There's too much, well, that's never going to work. Well, is it going to go viral? All that stuff. And like, this is the greatest opportunity in the history of everything. 
This is going to change business, storytelling, humanity, uh, the economy, everything, and world economy, not the economy. Th this is huge, and people are missing a giant opportunity because they have been, they believe the past, and they believe the past models, and they somehow think the past models are coming back, and uh, Borders, Tower Records, iTunes, Napster, you know, it's, it, it's over. So now's the time to recognize that it's over, find another way, and see telling stories in years and not in projects. Now, uh, okay, there, there's one other thing I wanted to touch on briefly, and then I, I want to get a, a quick update. And uh, your friend Irina asked a question. I want to make sure we get to that, too. Okay. But, but um, just, just in terms of, like, there's kind of a double-edged sword that I see going on here. One, you said that there's fragmentation, and that's... I mean, on you know, good or bad, you guys have a bigger player playing field, and I, I think to a certain extent it's helped the indie artist in the sense that there's more room for you guys to get attention. I agree. Uh, but, but on the other hand, are you worried that at some point there will be a point of saturation that, that is reached and ultimately could lead to some sort of implosion of some sort, for lack of a better nope. word? Nope. I think the, the world's a lot bigger. We've never been here before. We've never seen this done before, and... What we're already seeing happening with, you know, self-publishing, with independent musicians who are doing their stuff, with YouTubers, with YouTubers who are now crossing over to media, they're making their own movies. Uh, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of people in the world, and they are being uh, led by their interests and by their friends' recommendations, and that is only going to continue, uh, and that is never going to slow down. And in terms of a saturation point, I don't know how many billion people are in the world. No, I mean, that's a fair point, too, right? So uh, we also had a question here that, that you drew my attention to, Joe, from uh, Irina M. Knight, who I understand is a writer, and uh, she was asking, how many projects are you actively working on, and how do you keep them all organized? This is something that I ask you every time you come on here, right? I, um, I'm kinda, I'm a, I constantly change my systems. So my new system is... I'm I'm riding hard deadlines because I'm trying to speed up things. The uh, right now I'm I'm finishing the issue one of the graphic novel. The second proof of the hard copy print is on the way back. Uh, while that's happening, I am writing the issue two script. Uh, while that's happening, I have a short that I wrote a few months ago, well, last year, six, well, maybe six, eight months ago, that got backburnered. That is coming around on the front burner in the next month. Um, and then I launched the issue to campaign. So what I do is I look at the calendar, I figure out how long it's going to take me, and I don't, and I'm, uh, I'm, I try to be a mean boss to myself, uh, just because I know the only reason I'm talking to you now is because I have been on Twitter every single day for five years. Um, <laughs> and that, and that is what, that is, that is how, that is how this works. That's part of your and behavior, nobody right? Yeah. Nobody, nobody knows that, that, that you don't just blow up. Nobody knows that this is what it takes and no one, people quit before they see anything work because they have been taught what the, you know, box office and all that stuff. So I, I have some, some projects that are, that are super hot. I have other projects that are in the ballpark and I have, um, things that, you know, with play shorts, 
I haven't put out a new episode in almost a year uh, because of a location problem, but I just found a new location they haven't opened yet. I'm actually working with the owner on his Kickstarter. It may turn out to be the perfect situation for me to make 38 shorts. Uh, I want to take a quick pause here, Joe. I, th I think that we've got Marcello Rolando on the phone, uh, on the line here. Marcello, are you there? Yes, I am. Hey, right? we got liftoff. <laughs> we've been, Joe, we've been fighting with uh, with Skype all week. Marcello's a, a newbie yes. here to, to Skype, so we've, uh, we were trying to figure out a way to get him on the show. So, uh, Marcello, I just wanted to introduce you to uh, my old friend Joe Wilson here, who has a couple of different series that he's worked on and uh, done a whole bunch of different things. Vampire Mob was the most recent one, and uh, uh, he worked with Marshall Wallace for a while. Oh, great. Joe, great to meet you. You, you too. Uh, I, I, we just said hi on Twitter uh, this morning. We did, so, yeah. uh, hi, hi in person. See the world. It's getting yeah, small. It's, and uh, <laughs> Joe, just so you know, Mar Marcello is another one of these guys who uh, has got so many projects going at once that I don't even know what to talk about when he comes on here. But uh, has he, he writes. He's got his own radio show. He does a lot of acting. He was actually in Lincoln a couple of years ago. And and. Uh, 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 all kinds of other things too, spokes, uh, spokes work and uh, all kinds of other great stuff. Fantastic. Well, it sounds like, sounds like you've got a, a, a decent uh, show coming up after me, Mr. Chatty. Well, I, I, you know what? I, when I got you both on, I said, this is going to be something else. <laughs> both of you back to back. Yeah, so, uh, Joe, what can I tell you? This has always been a lot of fun catching up with you. And uh, Where can people go to, to keep up with all of the great stuff that you're doing? Uh, if you <clears throat> want to see Vampire Mob, both seasons and issue one of the graphic novel are at VampireMob.com. There's five episodes of Play Shorts at PlayShorts.com. And issue two is going to be, you know, hitting Indiegogo in, I don't know, six weeks-ish, uh, maybe less. And uh, and issue one looks looks fantastic. J.M. Rengay and Darren Bennett. Uh, and Corey Blaker worked on it. They did a killer job, and it's bizarre that I have written a comic book. And to hold it in my hands, it is very, it's weird. It's really cool, and I really love the story form, and I'm having a lot of fun, and I couldn't do any of this without the audience. Well, and again, you know, if there's anything I can do to help you, Joe, then uh, you know where you can get a hold of me. By all means, I'm happy to help any way I can. Very cool. Thank you, Casey. And thanks, thanks again for having me on, and uh, you and Marcella have fun. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. So, um, Marcella, are you still there? I'm still here. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick uh, musical interlude, as they say. Uh, this guy I just found out about this morning, Chris Eilert, who is out of uh, southeast London, and I've uh, got a lot of people, a lot of musicians that approach me from that part of the world, and I'm always happy to, to showcase them. Um, if you want to get a hold of Chris or follow up with what he's doing, he's at Chris Eilert. That's a I L E T T dot com, and you can follow his uh, his music, his blogs, and his gig, and all kinds of other great stuff. Uh, sent me a track this morning called "Repeat It" that I thought uh, was kind of cool. So I'm going to play that now, and then we're going to be talking to Marcello Orlando in the second half. So let me just call this up with my uh, favorite toy here, and we'll get going. All right, where are we now?
And that was Chris Islet. The uh, track was called Repeat It, and you can find him at chrisislet.com. His last name is I-L-E-T-T. That was pretty cool, if you ask me. <coughs> kind of thing that gets your blood going in the morning, you know what I mean? Uh, so, Marcello, are you still there? I'm with you, yes, Casey. What would you think of that? I thought that was great. Talking about pumping, getting your heart pumping, it's true. It works in the afternoon, too. No, the guy had a, a nice big fat sound, I thought, which was kind of cool. Yes. So... Uh, so my guess in the second half, if you're just listening, uh, we were just talking to Joe Wilson there, uh, who had some opinions about uh, sort of the evolution of the entertainment business and all kinds of other great things. And you can find him at Joe Wilson TV on, on Twitter. Um, my guess in the second half is Marcello Orlando. I, I met Marcello actually about two or three years ago at this point. It's been a while. Um, yes. you, you can follow him online at M Orlando, and that's with two L's. And uh, just to give you some information on him, uh, he's making his third appearance on the show, so he's a member of what I affectionately refer to as my repeat offenders club. Uh, these are people that have uh, given me their time more than once. Um, he's a progressive political writer uh, through his work with The Reasonable Voice, which is his own project. Uh, he's a radio talk show host with Charlottesville This Week, which I've listened to a few times. Uh, he's a video and theater director, a spokesperson, an actor, and an opera singer, and all kinds of other things. So, of course, we're going to have nothing to talk about today. Uh, <laughs> no pressure, Marcello, at all. <laughs> all right? So, well, it's been a long time that I've called myself an opera singer, but thank you. Hey, well, I, I, do, I do my homework. You know that. Come on. Yeah. All right? Uh, so, the cutting room floor proudly welcomes back our, our old friend, Marcello Rolando. How you doing, old lion? Oh, it's a pleasure, and it's a pleasure to dip my toe in the 21st century via Skype. Um, I always like to learn new things, and thanks to you, I learned something new today. Thank you. Well, yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I'm sorry that I, uh, I couldn't get it going with, with our t- test, but I understand that, uh, that Cassie was able to ultimately help you out, was she? Well, actually, not to do, uh, not give credit to Cassidy, but she certainly deserves for so many things, including her documentary, Bullies and Friends, but... Something you said to me Thursday night kept ringing in my head. It's probably just a step you haven't taken, Marcello. You remember telling me that? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't quite well, set it up just properly. Stuck yeah. with me, and I went back in and trying to figure out what step I hadn't taken, and I found it. Well, good, good. <laughs> it's, it's not hard to use, though, is it? Right? All no, time. no. <laughs> Once you take all the, the steps, it, yes, it was. It was perfectly easy. You were right all the time. Okay, well, great, great. No, I'm glad. I'm glad that we were able to set it up. So uh, now I'll, I'll call this out since we've already raised their name. Like Cassidy McMillan is a mutual friend of ours, and yeah. Um, so I, and I know that, like myself, you're you're an ambassador for her film Bullies and Friends, right? Yes, I am. Yes, and proud to be so. It's. Uh, I, I honestly feel that um, we can trace. I've said this often. We can trace most of our problems as. Uh, Americans and as a human race to two things. One, a, a lack of uh, equal quality education that helps us understand, among other things, um, why we need to all get along together and that we should all be treating each other with the golden rule, etc. And the second is um, to bullies and bullying. Uh, you know, whether it's on the international scale, there are plenty of examples, on a national scale, government, corporatism, however, but it also starts as children. Bullies start as children, and the bullied, the targets of bullies and bullying starts as children. And what Cassidy McMillan is doing with the, her documentary, Bullies and Friends, is, is teaching us, giving us solutions, 
and by us I mean children and parents and teachers and communities, uh, this documentary gives solutions. It doesn't just recognize the problem. It it, uh, it gives specific solutions, and she goes around the country uh, uh, sharing the film in various versions to the schools and communities that request her to speak. And, well, um, you know, the moment I found out about it, I just, it became something I, I support in, in everything I write and, and every time I speak, because I do think if we can stop this kind of behavior toward each other as children, then we will grow into adults who respect each other and, um, uh, you know, and practice the golden rule. I mean, it sounds so some, a cliche, but there it is. Now, i, I, I got to say this, and I, I'll admit that Cassidy's film struck a nerve with me because I was a bullying victim as a kid, too. And for me, this was a bad problem mm-hmm. when I was uh, in grade school and especially high school. But, but uh, you know, one of the things that keeps coming back to me is if, if this kind of behavior happened between adults, it would be assault, and somebody would go to prison for yes. it, right? Yes. But but because it's you know the kids they don't know any better. Bullshit. They know better than that. Yes. You know you're exactly you're exactly right, Casey. You are exactly right that it, that is the point. We the things that take place in uh, on campus and in the military on the workplace we would be on it in a heartbeat and lawsuits would ensue and so forth but because it's children we go oh they're just kids he's only a boy he's a, you know and 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 the the facts are that and we we see it in the news but it just doesn't seem to hit home i i had i won't name this person because i'm embarrassed for her but i had as a guest um maybe a year ago on my uh, radio show uh, the uh, a person who is in a government position, and that government position involves the treatment of children. And I mentioned the term, well, what do you think about bully side? And she said to me, what is that? And then when I explained it, as Cassidy McMillan's film explained it to me, um, she said, oh, no, I don't think that's a problem. And I went, oh, my God. Well, then there is the problem. Uh, children uh, have been so frightened, so bullied, so pushed, uh, and feeling alone, feeling without help, even though the president and the first lady have come out with uh, stopbullying.gov, and that's great, and, you know, but, but the children still feel there isn't someone, an adult, that they can trust to protect them. Now, my hat off to all parents who go through this, but I think I go back to that education thing. Education is not just to, you know, read the questions at the end of the chapter in a, in a classroom. Education is, as I used to tell the caregivers for my parents, you have to listen with more than your ears. You, you've got to look at facial expressions, mood changes, habit changes. Why suddenly, uh, you know, they want to be on the computer all the time or they don't want to be on the computer all the time. Cyberbullying, of course, is a big deal. But we know uh, there are children who are pushed so far that they commit suicide. And I believe Cassidy has coined the phrase bully side. And it is something we need to uh, address, be aware of. Meanwhile, a child... Of any age. I mean, you, you said you were high school. For me, it was 
it was what we used to call junior high school, middle school. Yeah. And yeah. I was fortunate. I don't even, I remember the moment when I stopped it. I don't know what gave me the courage, but just one day I literally turned around and said to this big guy, who could have knocked me over with his fingertip, you know, I said, that's enough. And I don't know what gave me the courage to do that. It may have been that I was just outside of my home, but my parents weren't home. They both worked. And he, I remember his face. He was not afraid, Casey. He was shocked. Well, and, and then that... Yeah, and the one thing that really drove me nuts was, I mean, I'm a product of, I mean, I'll, I'll date myself before the internet, right? That, that, yeah. that, that you're, it's not something that people just have to deal with and some people don't, right? And, and yes. to, to, cling to, to cling to the belief that sooner or later everybody will grow up and leave you alone is... It's quite frankly perverse. Yes, <laughs> thought, yes, yes, exactly. You know, I mean, exactly. they're, they're, you know, knowing I have a finite sentence to this is uh, to hell with that. You know. Yes. Yes. Well, we are uh, we, we are blessed to have uh, work like Bullies and Friends. Absolutely. And and, and people uh, who have experienced it and are willing to share that experience to help others not have to go through it. And remembering, I think part of the point, Casey, you were just making is is that it's bigger than ever because it's on the Internet. It's cyberspace. It, you can't get away from it. You you know, even if when I managed to talk this person down and I was able to go into my home where I was safe and there was no follow-up to that, but I was also safe because... There wasn't a computer to get on, you know, and have others um, uh, continue that behavior. So uh, with each blessing, there is a challenge and a responsibility. And it's a, it's a challenge for parents because I, I know teenagers, I work with teens a lot, and I, I know they want their privacy and they, you know, and they, but, but at some point you have to be the, what is that great TV show I like so much, The Good Wife. You have to be the good mom too, and the good dad, and and you have to ask the the hard questions, um, and and you have to take note of the behavioral changes. Now, okay. now I, I want to take a sidestep too, because I, I know that one sure. of the the other things that you feel strongly about in the, in the first point that you raised was uh, in the the notes that you sent me um, was lack of quality education. Right, that that this is also yes. something else that that is an epidemic. I mean, in Canada too, but much less so than it is in in the United States. You guys have got a big problem with that down there. Oh yes, it. Uh, our education system um, is faltering, uh, even though the president certainly is is uh, doing a, a lot better by education than than uh, predecessors and than others. But it, educa- you see, the state and local municipalities cannot claim um, any more than they can the voting system. You can't claim education or any issue that this is our territory and then not take care of it. And, you know, we throw around the word infrastructure all the time and most of us think that's just a bridge. But it, it's, you know, it's a school building, it's, it's the grid, it's everything. Infrastructure is also our children. If we are not educating and making it easy, meaning uh, meaning easier financially for uh, our young people, and that's everybody through graduate school, 
from the moment you enter kindergarten through graduate school, you are a young person who's looking to improve their mind so that they can improve by, improve by extension the life of the country, of their families, their friends, their society, their communities, their neighborhoods. And we're not attuned to that. We don't seem to value uh, a good quality, qualitative, and equal opportunity-oriented education. Uh, we know, we have to know in this month of February, we still to give African-Americans their just due. We have to set aside a month as if the other 11 months, it's okay not to, to think about that equality. But um, if we don't, uh, without a balance, without teaching the whole history, without uh, uh, treating science you know, I'm a religious person, I believe in God, but that doesn't make me deny science and math. You know, I'm, I'm a product of the arts, and I had a very strong high school music teacher who, who <laughs> I, was, I was in the middle of a tug of war between the, the drama teacher and the music teacher, but she was a tough lady, and, um, and she launched my career. She, she just, um, she saw something in me, and, and there are teachers like that, like the for instance, the principal that's been noted recently in uh, in Brooklyn, I can't think of her name now, but the student, you know, it's it's all over the uh, media and social media as well, with the student being asked uh, on on the street what he thought was a, a good a good thing, what was impressive in his life or whatever, and he mentioned his principal and how she made each one of them feel like they matter. I mean, wow! And that's that's the core of the education. That's something... Um, for all of the academics, which of course I believe in, and I also resent that the first things that get cut are the arts, uh, but it, it, is, it is that and it is beyond that. It's how to communicate with and to respect each other beyond the classroom, beyond the schoolyard, in the workplace, in the community, and to, to cherish what each has to offer. I mean, goodness, I cannot... Uh, the, the times that I have met people... Well, let's use you as an example, this, this Skype. Everything, the thing I like most about my life, or myself, let's put it that way, is that I love learning new things. <laughs> Even though when it comes to the Internet, it's still a bit of a challenge, and I admit I have technical people on staff who... Who, who tend to run that point. But I said, but, you know, teach me, and as I learn, I will do it. Um, and I've learned more and more, and now I've learned how to use Skype. <laughs> but, you know, and, and that's important. It keeps the mind going. But it must be that we must nurture the desire to learn as well as to teach and the desire to experience what we don't know and to question authority and to and to ask questions in general and listen for the answers. And again, I think, uh, the, you know, foundation of that is you, you, you want quality teachers, you have to come up with some kind of quality uh, income, salary, um, and you have to treat male and female equally financially and in every other way. Um, I, I, it, it just, I, I just don't understand how the government at any level can treat this uh, the education of uh, of uh, our young people as something that is not of the absolute 
number one essential value to protect, if nothing else, the country's future. Now, I, I got yeah. it. Uh, first of all, I, I wanted to make sure that I, I got this right. But you, you were talking about the kid that uh, the principal was trying to get them all to, uh, on a on a trip to Harvard, and they went yes. on a, on a yes. crowdfunding campaign. They wound up meeting up with the president too, right? Yes, um, yes, yes. That's right. That's right. And he asked to meet them. I love that. And he should have wanted to meet them. Any president should have, because that's the example that a child is so moved. I know I was by my again my high school music teacher. I was so, uh, my life was so moved by her, and, and I wasn't at the time old enough to understand what she was doing. But I, as I look back on it as an adult, and even after my New York years, I got to uh, come back to the uh, uh, Maryland area where she lived, and I did see her a, a few times before she died. And, it was just, and she still was just as supportive how are you doing? What are you doing? And still, you know, uh, it's it just teachers, principals, parents. Uh, we all make a difference, and we need a um, we need a Wall Street to see that as profit. Because maybe if they see it as a profit line item, um, there will be more support of that. And we do have corporations who support the arts, and you know, and. Uh, we see the PBS specials, and I love that. But I, but I think we need to get into the school buildings and make certain they have computers, so that they don't have to wait from my age to master that particular talent, so that they uh, have uh, clean and safe uh, uh, facilities, and so uh, they are not bullied, and so the uh, you know the water works, the electricity works, and they don't have to be palaces. But they, there are schools in this country in America. I mean, I've seen them. There are schools that are dilapidated and, you know, and leaking pipes and uh, it's just, uh, I don't know what we think we're going to do for future leaders in industry and government and education and manufacturing if we don't educate them. Now, I, I remember the first time I, I heard the term used academic bankruptcy and I remember almost mm. finding this funny but then I, I turned around and there was a friend of mine who was going to a university in Ontario and he graduated and admittedly some of our student fees aren't as high up here as they are down there but but he graduated mm -hmm. six figures in the hole and you know yeah. with, without a job or any kind of experience was in the position of having to pay this off right mm. and I'm, I'm thinking mm. this too was sick Right. That, yes. that, that on the one hand you want to invest in yourself, but on the other hand it, it becomes cost prohibitive to even do so. You know, I, again, I couldn't agree with you more, Casey. It's a, um, I'm not certain what we can do, but I do think the president has made a good first step in the uh, unit two years. If you've earned it, you've earned it. You've got to have the GPA um, to give free, the first two years free of community college and I think that's a great step forward. But I think, again, we live, uh, there's nothing wrong with making money. I love making money. I made a lot of money on television. It's a wonderful thing. And, and you know, it, it gives you uh, a chance to, uh, not just for luxuries, but just to be able to share and to go places and to, you know, t take a trip and learn something about a culture you don't know. But don't let me get off the subject. It's somehow we have to... We have to convince 
because this goes to banks. Um, I often say to people, it's not colleges that put students in debt, it's banks, because you get a bank loan. Well, of course, you need the bank loan because the tuition is so high. But we've got to come together in the higher education and government levels at all levels uh, and, um, and Wall Street banks and say, listen, we need an educated society. Other, otherwise, we're going to we're just going to lose. You can't you can't out um, produce or bid or um, be a part of the international community if you don't have an educated force coming along, growing up and learning. So that I, as I used to tell my students years ago when I was a classroom teacher, one day you'll have the gray hair, and then it'll be your turn to run the world. Well, we're not preparing them for it. Uh, I wanted to ask you one last question before we, we get in a quick plug for your um, your shows and various things, Michelle. But uh, this was something that I didn't know that you did, but uh, I understand that you're a speechwriter for certain liberal candidates. Is that true? <laughs> well, you know, it's not one. It's not uh, something you can you can broadcast too much. That is specifics only because that's why I chuckle. Uh, yes, and I'm very pleased with that. I there are. Uh, progressive candidates um, and that uh, have, you know, approached me about uh, rewrites primarily. They, they, at the very least, will give me bullets. This is what's important to them. Many times they'll just send me the speech via email and uh, ask me, uh, you know, if I would, uh, I don't know, I, I, I hesitate to say rewrites, although I guess that's what I do. I, I, it, but the, the thing is, to be successful at that, um, you must be uh, sensitive to their voice. You must know what it is they're trying to say. And when, once you get into that through conversations and interviews and exchange of emails, um, you can then uh, add to their speech what gives them that oomph to what they say. There are a lot of people who um, know what they're for and and want to make a difference, but that doesn't mean it's an easy thing to express that in a way that ignites, if you will, um, the response and, and the votes and the uh, camaraderie that they need. And, and yes, when I'm, I've been hired to do that, and I always enjoy that. Always. No, no, I, I understand that you can't volunteer specifics. I just thought that was really cool that you were you know, able to, to do that. That's, that's kind of neat. So. It is neat. I thank you. Yes. Um, we're, we're kind of out of time here, Marcello, but I want to make sure we get in a good solid plug for all of your, uh, uh, <laughs> your, your, your websites and your radio show and your blog and all the other great work that you're doing. Uh, first of all, where can people listen to, uh, Charlottesville this week and, and keep up with the reasonable voice and, and get in touch with you? You can, you can find everything actually on the website, which is the reasonable voice.com. Easy enough to remember. Um, uh, there are uh, under uh, podcasts are uh, my blog uh, talk radio show, the Reasonable Voice uh, blog talk radio, and under broadcasts there are uh, things that I've done and, and videos I've directed and whatever. But under CTW Charlottesville this week, you can also download uh, podcasts from shows that we've done, and and I try in both shows to. Uh, Charlottesville this week tends to have a more conservative audience, and the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio has a very progressive, of course, international audience. We like to 
to believe, since judging from our email. Um, and I, I like to... I like doing both shows because I feel like I get, um, I, I'm trying to bridge. We've got to get back together. We've got to build a bridge and then meet in the middle. And so there it is. TheReasonableVoice.com. Thank you, Casey. Well, again, Marcello, it's been way too long, and uh, you know, I was very happy to have you back. So, uh, you know, thanks again for all the great work that you do and, and uh, for volunteering your time this afternoon. I'm glad that we got the Skype thing sorted out. And uh, yes. as, as always, you got an Thank open you. invitation to come back, my friend, anytime you want to, all right? All right, you got it. Same uh, to you. No problem. So that's going to about do it for us this week. Uh, next week I'm having an all-Michigan hour. I've got Casey Sheridan, who is a romance novelist, and John D. Winston, uh, who also tackles a bullying topic from a different side of the hill. He's got a uh, graphic novel in the works. Uh, so again, both guests are from Michigan. I'm really excited to have Casey back. She's one of uh, my favorite guests, too. So uh, we'll be looking forward to, to speaking with both of them next week. So again, on behalf of my guests, Joe Wilson and Marcello Orlando, and Chris Eilert for letting me use that wicked cool track in the middle, you've been listening to Casey Ryan on the cutting room floor, and I will talk to you guys next Sunday. Cut, print, wrap, and I am done. another edition of The Cutting Room Floor with your host, Casey Ryan. Follow Casey on Twitter at Cutting Room MRB and on Facebook, The Cutting Room Floor. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.